0: Back last December, today's guest expert predicted a massive commodity price boom was dead ahead. And not many others shared that view back then. Well, boy, was he ever right. Commodity prices exploded in the five months since that video was reported. And more important, in his eyes, we ain't seen nothing yet. He predicts that commodity prices are going to continue heading higher, a lot higher from here.
1: Be only in the first few innings of a, a classic baseball nine innings game.
0: Hello, and welcome to WealthyOn. I'm WealthyOn founder Adam Taggart, bringing you back again for another week of making sense of money and the markets. And I'm very excited for today's guest. We are interviewing Steen Jacobson, who's the chief economist and chief investment officer of Saxo Bank, which he manages billions in client assets. He joins us from Copenhagen. Uh, you probably see Steen from his work on CNBC, Bloomberg News, etc. I'm really excited to have Steen uh, join us today because I interviewed him back in December, where he made a quite bold call at the time that he saw. Uh, you know, sharp rise in inflation ahead, uh, as well as additional government stimulus. And here we are uh, four months later, and uh, pretty much everything Steen predicted has come true. So Steen, great to have you back on the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Adam. Always a pleasure.
0: It's always a pleasure here. Well, look, Steen, again, I want to just sort of give you your due recognition for that very prescient prediction on uh, higher inflation ahead, you called a commodities boom, which uh, has certainly been a a dominant theme of the past uh, two months or so here. Um, And uh, you also talked about governments uh, passing, uh, you know, all sorts of new stimulus, uh, both uh, monetary fiscal and uh, with a special focus on infrastructure and really that entire playbook uh, uh, unfolded right after you mentioned it all. So um, that was very prescient. Let's just start though with the question I like to ask every guest What is your current assessment of today's economy and financial markets?
1: That Q2 clearly is the peak in sentiment, in valuation, in the improvement of the economic data, and that we by Q4 will have to see and do the same interview that we did in December, we will see more stimulus because I think my core view when we talked in December was one of that we are trying to solve for three generational challenges at the same time, which of course is this inequality, or in the words of I think the new Biden administration, to some extent, social injustice, which is now fully supported by a Fed mandate to go with full employment before anything else. You have the green transformation still needing to happen. And of course, the infrastructure, which has become very much uh, a part of the narrative since we spoke last. All of this makes things worse because we are, again, failing to understand the fundamental of what happened during February and March of 2020. Me, and I I have to say, you give me a lot of credit for being right uh, on this call. But one thing I got wrong and which I think everybody got wrong was that when we sat in February and March and April, I could see as an investment manager why you should buy stock. But in the back of my head, I always had this feeling that this is going to be a very violent recession. There's no way it's going to be a V-shape with the you know history behind us now is pretty clear that it was not a recession, it was a close down of the economy. So it was binary in the sense that it was on and then it was off and then it was partly being open again. And, and to some extent that that is what has created the market we have today, Adam, because you know it, it, it was much better than yet that I perceived it to be. It was in terms of the speed at which the move happened was faster. So as we talk today, Federal Reserve is so far behind that they almost come full circle to be right again in the sense that, The rising inflation will do marginal higher cost of capital, the higher margin cost of capital combined with the slowdown in that Q data I just uh, referenced, means that the Federal Reserve by end of the year will have to ramp up again the monetary support and the fiscal support from Yellen and the Biden government will come fast and furious again to support this. So to some extent, we are in the same territory. The supply-demand equation has gotten worse the actual inflation in the economy is now for real. I know for this week, we're expecting a headline in number of 3.6%. If I've told you in December that we're gonna be at 3.64% headline, uh, no one would have believed me. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. We have we have gone full circle and yet we have moved nowhere in terms of monetary policy, what is in place macro wise, and the bottleneck supply chain is, is basically Uh, what I use and spend all my time on, because it is in shipping, in commodities, in mining. The fact is, if you wanna decarbonize, then you are metallizing, if that's even a word, Adam, but then you gotta need to go to the metal space and renewable energy, as you have talked about extensively all the time, it's just not, there's just not enough baseload or even investment to cater for that transformation.
0: Wow. All right. So there's so many points to follow up in on that. Um, let's just dive right in. Um, so uh, let's see where to start. Uh, you know, one of the things that you, you you mentioned that we talked a lot about the last time that you were on was uh, the pressure that's being placed on the current uh, world infrastructure, um, where in many ways, the digital economy has become so successful that it is now constrained by the actual physical economy. There just aren't enough Um, roads, bridges, shipping fleets, yeah, to to meet the demand that's there, that's becoming the bottleneck. It sounds like you say you're you're only seeing that's going to continue and exacerbate. Um, I'm seeing you nod there a little bit. So when when we couple that with-
1: You see, I mean, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, but just look at every single earnings report that we just had, the release for the Q1, all of them, pretty much, I'm mentioning. Overnight, we had Kellogg CEO, we had Warren Buffett. So, you know, back in December, it, you know, I was an inflationist. I was one one of these odd creatures that was so naive to think that for the first time since the 1970s, we we're going to have inflation. Now, every single business person on the ground is reporting the same thing, which, by the way, was the basis for my call. It wasn't that that the CPI. I mean, and for the record, CPI is absolutely and utterly useless in terms of measuring <laughs> inflation. And I'll tell you why, because the 25 percent of the uh, CPI is rent equivalent. And you, I, I, even you, a smart guy, Adam, you would expect that the rent equivalent was derived from some sort of market pricing. It's not. There is no correlation between the rise in, in rental and, and housing price in the u.s and the rent equivalent so the house price in the u.s runs between 15 and 18 percent overall year over year the price built into the like-for-like like rent equivalent is less than four percent
0: yeah it's it's crazy it's uh in some past recent interviews in this program i've i've really railed about that which is i don't know how anybody can let alone what the government publishes how anybody can report on the cpi with a straight face anymore when you're looking at every input cost uh, that goes into our way of life going up by you know, double to triple digits uh, over, over the past year. Uh, and to report that you know, the CPI is still below the 2% target threshold is just, it's, it's insulting to our intelligence. Um, all right. So where I was going with this is, um, so the, the physical infrastructure is going to still be a constraint going forward. There's been a ton of, of uh, stimulus that's pushed a bunch of of liquidity into the world, and it sounds like you see some more coming in Q4. And I want to dig into that for a moment. Um, we're seeing, you know, lots of commodity uh, pressure uh, that's happened over the past couple months. But it sounds like, from what you're saying, you know, continued constraints in the supply chain, more liquidity coming forward. Um, it sounds like this commodity boom may still have a lot more to run. Do you see that?
1: We're only in the first few innings of a a classic baseball nine innings game. And the reason is, and and it's kind of interesting because if you look at the chart, you will say this is too much. And to be honest, I have one of the smartest uh, commodity analysts in the world, a guy called Julius Hansen, who's been in the game for as long as I've been in the overall macro game. And he's been trying to at least verbally fade this move for the last four weeks. But I think he's ignoring one single factor, which I think is the driver right now. If you look at who are the net buyers today and why they're buying, classically, we say that the commodity market is a supply and demand uh, market. But right now, a lot of countries are basically increasing the strategic reserves. So you see that China do realize that if they're gonna fight this geopolitical risk with Australia, they need to import a lot of iron ore, a lot of metal to come into the ports of China up front relative to the long cycle of actually going to renewable energy. So I think a lot of countries are strategically similar to what they did on sanitation and vaccines are now front logging the commodity game by making strategic purchases through the market. And you can you can argue for a government, whether they're paying, you know, $8,000 or $10,000 Uh, a ton for copper doesn't really matter because the plan here is and that is clear in the case of China they're moving from uh, unlike the US a a sort of a platform economy they want to move to be independent in semiconductors they want to be moving to renewable energy and reduce the CO2 so I think the geopolitical if you want to use that word for it uh, demand is is very very big in, in this space because everyone wants to be strategic about the next five years, in terms of what they need of resources.
0: Okay, so um, let's uh, let's now kind of move over. You know, we've got we're, we're gonna, commodities are going to continue to have that tailwind to them. Now, you mentioned that you've seen, uh, you, you think that in the short term economic growth has peaked in Q two. Uh, it's going to dip in Q three, and I'd love for you to kind of expound on that. Is it a small little dip? Is it a big dip? Uh, and then you see a big policy response in Q4 with more stimulus spending. And by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but you know, you're not just looking at the US when you talk about that, you see the EU and China uh, participating in that sort of future wave of additional stimulus you see coming. So um, I, I guess first, can you just sort of clarify the arc you see there in terms of you know, peak dip and then uh, shooting the moon again as this year progresses in terms of economic
1: growth? Yeah, first, first we need to establish a timeline. So China was first into the COVID crisis and first out. US and UK were second and Europe is going to be the last. So what I think is happening to the global economy in terms of a synchronized response, we haven't had one. China has been very uh, restrictive, have been tightening monetary policy relative to the rest of the world. So the full inflationary force of the world will only come, in my opinion, when everyone is synchronized. And, and my call is that by Q4, every single government, every single monetary authority will stand behind the fiscal expansion to forever and an easy monetary policy. And the reason for that is that Europe over the next two to three months, will see their, their peak growth. So we are just a delayed function, but we are still asynchronous relative to the global cycle. The global cycle in terms of people who have a a faster rollout of vaccination is is two, three months ahead. So basically the data between Q2 and Q3 doesn't really compute really. But by Q4, everything will be synchronic. And the case in, in, in China to start with, which is the biggest impulse of world growth, they They have such a tight monetary policy today that needs to be accommodated with a low interest rate in order not to create too much mon- too much bankruptcy, to not create a stock market that comes into a free fall. In the case of US, you have this opening of the economy where you have a very interesting labor market dynamics where in most states or in many states in the US, the, uh, the, the support for unemployment employment benefit sits at one and a half, two times the actual payment that these same people can have going back to the actual job market. So you will have a delayed function of up against the Federal Reserve, going back to full employment or something that mirrors full employment, that will be delayed. So by delaying the the reaction function of getting people from the supply side of labor to come into the the action market would delay the growth and the potential growth of the economy, meaning the Federal Reserve will be more accommodated for a longer time. That will be met, in my opinion, by the financial market with what we see today with breakeven rates breaking higher and higher. So have we had this interview two months ago the consensus on the street would have been that the inflation was transitory. Now the consensus in the street is 50-50 between the Fed narrative for transitory and a cyclical inflation. What does that mean overall for me as a risk taker? It means that two things in my opinion, in, uh, volatility goes up because it's less transparent, it's less uh, fixed. And secondly, it means that the marginal cost of capital ultimately will go up. So why can you ask is, you know, the marginal tenure not going up simply, because you know, among other things, the general account of treasuries is still being, uh, being, being, being produced. It sits at 950 billion as of today, it needs to be a 500 billion in August. So think about what that does. It, it floats the banking system with re- reserves. Those reserves right now in the banking system, we have a ratio of lending to deposits, which is the lowest ever. In other words, we have never as American banking system been lending less out relatively to all the deposits. So most people probably realize this, but, but I have to make the case that when you make a deposit at a bank, Adam, you are creating a liability for the bank. That liability needs to be met by a regulatory capital. That regulatory capital is traditionally US treasuries. So in other words, as long as you have the general account, the treasury rejo- floating the market with liquidity, then the banks gets too much liquidity relative to the lending they can do. That lending then moves into the pockets of buying a general uh, 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 classified uh, collateral value in terms of treasury. So until August 1st, we will have that the market is sideways in 10 year. Break even goes up because the inflation is being repriced relatively to the marginal cost of capital. Post August, the marginal cost of capital will fly. We will be at 225, 250 basis point uh, U.S. interest rate. And of course, you know as well as I do, the world is barely functioning at 1% interest rate. If it's going to go at two or two and a half or three, you know, immediately there's going to be a response from from the political side, which is both fiscal and monetary again. So you, uh, you know you're wrong in what you're doing if you're Federal Reserve, but you keep doing what you do because it's the only game in town.
0: Yeah, and it seems to be only the only thing they can do. Um, all right, so I've got a long list of questions, but you just uh, zeroed in on on what I got to bump to the top of the list here, which is if the marginal cost of capital goes up, um, that will create a drag on economic growth, right? And I think that's why you're saying you're going to see these stimulus programs coming after that. But also, it's you know higher rates are like kryptonite uh, to an overvalued stock market. So you're a risk taker and um uh, you have to you know figure out how to allocate your clients capital um the question i was going to ask you is how worried are you about today's level of valuation uh, in the financial markets but boy if you see a spike coming in the marginal cost of capital um you know just mathematically if you do a, a discounted cash flow analysis that should be bringing down asset prices by itself um How worried are you uh, about some material market correction between now and that stimulus wave you see coming in Q4?
1: So there's two ways to to approach this. One is statistical mathematically and one is tactically. So let's do the, the math first. Basically, with the valuation we have right now, with the sentiment as high as it is, with the uh, easy monetary policy, there is less than 25% probability, statistically, that we will be up more than 5% one year from now. Doesn't mean it's going to be down 30%, but statistically, the performance of the stock markets from the starting point we have in terms of valuation is, you know, roughly, you know, 25% chance of being about 5% up, meaning 75% to be less, you know, around zero or, or negative. Uh, you know, but but as you already know, my response or the response rather than I expect for Fed is more stimulus. And as you can see, as you saw on Friday, when you get a miss of what is 700,000 people on the non-farm payroll, the market is still in this phase, which we've talked about before. You need to understand the worse it is for the real economy, the better it is better for the market the because the discount market. stays there. And so so it's kind of ironic. And then, you know, I have two heads when I, when I do an answer this question, uh, Adam. One is that, you know, Statistically, I know it's just rubbish. You know, it's it it you know, I, I should find some way to protect myself over the next year and just relax, but but I have to be active, otherwise people think I'm just lazy, right? So so <laughs> I have to come up with, with an alternative strategy. But the other the other side and the technical side is pretty simple. Uh, as you know, I run a a, a multi-asset sort of a hundred-year portfolio, uh, similar to what Chris Cole has has defined, and he's he's been a great inspiration in the way we run money but, but, but I, I really don't mind whether the market goes up and down because I'm monthly rebalancing and I'm making sure that unlike most investors, I do have a component of volatility, I have a component of uh, tips, I have a component of, uh, of crypto, I have a component of uh, CLOs, I have a component of uh, commodities, which is much higher relatively to the average 80% long or 70% long and, and, and fixed income on the other side. So, so, you know, rebalancing is it's, it's really what keeps me in the game and, and, and sleeping at night. But, but overall, I think there is a fair chance we see a 20 percent, 25 percent correction. But I think that correction will be bought for exactly the same reason. What and that's the thing you need to anticipate as an risk taker. What is the policy response to the next round draft in the market? It is essentially that you take the market up, and again, let's go back to to the way the Federal Reserve operate and how they think about the market. So they think very much in terms of financial conditions. If you look at the component of financial conditions, the most volatile component is the stock market. So the only way that the financial condition gets uh, under pressure is basically when the stock market is under pressure. So when the stock market gets under pressure, the financial condition tightens too much, and what does Fed do? They have you know and a policy response, a uh, 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 ramping up of the, the rhetoric of doing potential yield curve control and the size of the support they do. So it's a never ending game that you play on the other side of this Adam, that you have to respect that, you know, as long as you're diversified and you are doing monthly rebalancing or quarterly rebalancing, you're okay. uh, you are you, okay. You can see a risk of 10, 15% to your portfolio, but net net, you should get contribution that we had this year from, from real estate, from crypto and from uh, commodities, which it's outside this uh, very long duration equity overall. If you're only buying Amazon and Facebook and the likes.
0: All right, great. And I, I do want to get to, to talk about allocation um, in a little bit here. You were really kind last time we chatted, and you kind of opened the full kimono as to how you had your portfolio positioned. And if you're willing to do something similar here, I know people really appreciated it last time, and I think i would love to hear an update. But but before then, a couple of questions. So um, if I you know am distilling everything you've said so far, and of course, this is all a game of probabilities, you know, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen when, but you see, you know, potential for as we we hit the peak um, of uh, economic growth right about now, um, that Q3 uh, will see lower growth, um, we'll see rising cost of capital, and we will see some efforts by the administration to get people uh, who aren't working back into the workforce. And you know, right now, we've been paying so much in stimulus that for a lot of people, they've done the math and say, look, as long as I'm getting these stimulus payments, I'm just going to stay at home, right? It's, it's a better trade-off than having to go work for, for a roughly the same paycheck. So there's going to be some period of pain in there where um, people are going to have to get off the couch and go back to work. Um, the markets might start correcting maybe as much as 20 25% like you said uh, and then the the central planners will ride to the rescue and they'll turn the money spigots back on again and everything will kind of reinflate so i'm seeing you nodding as i'm saying this um, i guess my question to you is is that that makes sense to me i can definitely see how that's probable it certainly follows the current script that we've been following for a long time um, i guess my question is is how long can that game continue or maybe even the the best question is is What limits, if any, do you see on central planning here? You know, can they keep managing things this way by just turning the spigots on and off, but a little bit, you know, more each time to keep this balloon, you know, pushed higher and higher? Or do they eventually really run into real constraints that, uh, you know, um, that limit their ability to kind of just manage this whole thing? You know, you and I, we do the math, you know, it's hard for us to to conceive that the whole system continues to work but it does you know can, can they keep this going forever
1: no uh, but they can do it for a long time the what will kill it of course is inflation because mm-hmm. even as a Federal reserve they can control and they're doing it in indirectly in 10 years uh, now but 30 years still going to go up in price which ultimately will when you it's it's like you know this better than anybody if you have a physics system where you contain energy ultimately it will break out. So so what what will happen ultimately is that you will have a catch-up effect on inflation that breaks so much, so 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 high that it forces interest rates and a, and, a, and a monetary response. But right now, remember 50%, as I said earlier, at least is you know thinking this is transitory. So you need to get to a stage where inflation passes, not 2.5, 2.83, but 4% and 5% and rising with a high velocity, that is your, critical infliction point where we need to have another interview and talk about how how do i how do i navigate this kind of mark but to get to that point you have to remember a couple of things and i I listened to a very interesting interview with dylan grice which i think is 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 a very smart macro guy and he admitted he didn't get inflation right in the 2007 2008 but he made a very interesting analogy to mmt and and the way we conduct policy so i will assume and and pretend right now at the this policy response is basically MNT. In other words, we can print as much money we want without an inflationary aspect. But Dylan Grease makes the point, as much as he misinterpreted and didn't understand inflation in 2007, 2008, and let me, by the way, join him, I didn't understand it either. So Dylan Grace and I didn't get the 789Q expansion right. So the inflation, we didn't understand how inflation worked. But on the other hand, right now the MNT group Uh, people are telling you and me that they know exactly what inflation is. And I'm saying Dylan Grizz is like, you know, 100 times more intelligent than me. uh, And everybody pretty much, you know, he talks to has the same view that they didn't understand it they still fully don't understand. And by the way, for the record, Foger famously said in his book that, you know, inflation is, is one of these things that people think they understand, but no one really understands because what is inflation? But leave that aside. But the point is that the MMT is doing exactly the same mistake we did in seven, eight and nine, thinking we know the mechanics of how inflation evolves. And then that's interesting because someone who like me, who's, uh, as you can see by the lack of hair, uh, has been around since the 1970s. I, I, you know, I was having car-free Sundays uh, uh, in the 1973, 74 because of the oil prices and the supply constraints that was in the 1970s. I lived in the 70s. My parents was paying 14, 15 percent mortgage rates to to the ridiculous little uh, house we lived in, right? So, so I know the impact of what inflation does. And if you don't believe me, go back and listen and read uh, Warren Buffett's. Uh, newsletters from the 1970s and let him explain to you how difficult it is to navigate the business. So that that, that is where we, we could be going back to. But the point here being that no one understands inflation. I mean, inflation, we know if you look at it from a reverse engineering point of view, 80, percent 8. of inflation is expectation. Yet everyone you've talked to, Adam, everyone in the market pretends that it is this week's CPI and PPI. It's not. Because when you accept that you're going to pay higher prices for the commodity, you already have a sliding, uh, accelerating inflation. So this afternoon, I had to go home to get a washing repairman in. I need to buy a new washing machine and say, okay, cool. When can I have it tomorrow? I'm used to getting things tomorrow, right? He says, actually, I can put in the order and then we have to wait for the uh, actual delivery because there's supply constraints. And by the way, if you need it fast, I need to, you to pay more. And, and so, in other words, I am fully willing now, which I've never been, I'm a cheap economist, I have a very low salary, so I have to be very careful <laughs> how the money I spend, but I'm willing to pay higher prices for the same good that I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't pay this amount for six months ago. I'm accepting that things have changed, and through that accepta- expectations, it's setting itself higher. And then there's the other thing, which is breakeven, which is, you know, it's at least better than CPI. But uh, Goldman Sachs made analysis, all break-even levels have always been reached. So In other words, when you see a break-even rate in five years US at 2.7, 2.75 this morning, then it will be at least 2.7, 2.75 in almost 100% of the time. So inflation is so difficult to navigate, to understand, to to define that that, that it's really about the, the You know, at the end of the day, it's about what the businesses are doing. And as I reported before, if you look at Q8 report, Q1 reporting, you will see everyone talks about, you know, the ability or inability to pass on price hikes and how you know, did your D, uh, DIU, uh, you know, have you been to the DIU store recently? Things are up 30, 40, 50%. If you want to change your tire to summer tire, you know, whatever, it's up 100%. You know, everything is, it's, it's not 2%, it's not 3%, it's 100%. So, so 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 the point here being, we don't get inflation. We No one understands inflation, not, not me, not Dylan Grice, but you know, the MT crowd is arguing, going back to your question, that they fully understand it. So when they see inflation or Janet Yellen says, yeah, we have the tools. Janet Yellen, you have no tools that can control inflation when it's out of the bottle, because it is throughout society. It's not just a small part. It's every single citizen in the US and Denmark and everywhere else who are accepting that they need to pay higher prices relatively to what they were willing to pay six months ago. That is inflation
0: yeah and you you're underscoring i was talking with uh, David stockman a little while ago and we sort of talked about inflation um made the analog of the Titanic where by the time the central planners by the time it, they, they recognize it as a problem um, given their tool set and their their lack of understanding and lack of experience that you've said you know th- there's nothing they can do at that point to uh, to avoid hitting the iceberg Right. Uh, there's just there's so much momentum. So but by the time you actually see the problem, it is way too late to avoid it. And it's really all about how do you want to just sort of manage uh, getting into the crash position before it hits. We hope you've been enjoying this conversation with Saxo Bank's Steen Jacobson. The interview continues in part two, where Steen explains why he thinks gold and especially silver are poised for a substantial run up from here. And even more important. He breaks down for us exactly how he's positioning his portfolio right now for what he sees coming ahead. To watch part two, just click on the link provided in the description of this video below, or simply go to youtube.com slash wealthian. But before you go, please don't forget to click the subscribe button below if you haven't already. Oh, and if you'd appreciate a free, no strings attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who appreciates the market risks that Steen is warning of, Just go to wealthion.com and we'll set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you over at part two of our interview with Steen Jacobson.